Luke chapter 1 and verse 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abiah, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. And they had no child because that Elizabeth was barren, and they both were now well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. There appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall return to the Lord their God, and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now notice this with me tonight. Zacharias is being told that he is going to bring forth a son that will be the forerunner of the Messiah. He said he is going to preach. He is going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. But he said to do this, he will come in the spirit and power of Elias. We would say Elijah. Amen. I want to preach to you just for a little bit on the Elijah element. The Elijah element. Stretch your hand this way. Ask the Lord to anoint. Father, in the name of Jesus, I come before you asking you for the unction of the Holy Ghost. The power of the Spirit. Let it settle down on this house. Settle down on me, Lord, I pray. And I may preach with the unction and the authority of the Holy Ghost. Come and do what you do tonight, Holy Ghost. Baptize, convict, save. Move. We'll give you the glory. We'll give you the praise. We'll give you the honor, Lord. Hallelujah. For it is your work and not ours. We give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Hallelujah. Glory to God. You may be seated. The Elijah element. When we come to the book of Luke tonight, it is interesting that this story is given to us in great detail. If you just read the story, it is, it is on its own a powerful story to us because this priest is going to be struck silent. He is going to be told about this son that is going to be born. He's going to have a great honor of being the forerunner of Christ. But this story becomes even more powerful when we recognize that it is breaking 400 years of silence for the people of God. Understand with me that between Malachi and, and the book of Luke, which is the earliest account that we find in the scriptures, God is going to speak to Zechariah. And he's going to speak through the voice of his prophet John. Now this is significant because these are called, these 400 years are called the intertestamental years. And they are known as the silent years. There were books of scripture written uh, that are called the Apocrypha in 
in these times. But there was something that was missing that had almost always been among the people of God. And that was a voice of a prophet. Amen. Understand with me uh, that the, the, the voice of prophets for 400 years had been silenced. I want you to think about this. There were no weeping Jeremiah's. Yeah, there were no blazing Ezekiel's, no eloquent Isaiah's, no rough herdsmen like Amos to point their finger and decry the sins of the nations. It is 400 years of silence. Malachi had closed with this. Remember the law of Moses, Malachi 4 and 4. And then he said this, that he would send Elijah to Israel before the day of the Lord. This is significant because they are watching and waiting for a voice to come out of nowhere so to speak as Elijah did. And they are looking for a voice that will begin to declare the same message that Elijah declared with the same power and with the same authority and with the same mark of God upon his life. And the Bible said that they must reform the li- their lives that they might resist their godly forefathers that they might resemble an Abraham that they might resemble a Moses that they might resemble an Enoch and that if they did not hear the voice of this prophet that God would visit the land with a curse in Malachi 4, 5 through 6 I want you to understand the significance of this because whenever God is going to deal with the people or God is going to send a revival to a nation or to a land, God will always raise up a man. (laughs) Glory to God. I said God will always raise up a man. He will raise up a voice. He will raise up a trumpet. Want to save the world from a flood? Let me raise up a Noah. Want to spare Israel from a famine? Let me send Joseph down into Egypt and I'll raise him up. Want to get my people out of Egypt and lead them out of bondage? I will raise up a Moses. Want to establish a king that is after my own heart? I will raise up a David. Want to deal with the nation of Judah? I'll raise up a weeping Jeremiah. Want to prophesy to those that are in captivity? I'll raise up an Ezekiel. I'll snatch him up by the hair of his head and catch him up into the heavens. <laughs> So God is always looking for a man who will raise his voice. Now listen to me. A man of God makes a difference. I said a man of God makes a difference. I want to save Nineveh. I'm going to send a Jonah. Woo, glory to God. Glory to God. I've told it before, but I remember B.H. Clinton telling the story of a woman that was sick. And she had sent word and said, would the pastor please come and pray? He said, a day and a time. And he said, I'm going to show up and knock on your door. And so he came up the path and knocked on the door. He said, a little toe-headed boy answered the door. And when he answered the door, he looked up and said, are you the man from God? He said, my mama said, when the man from God gets here, everything's going to be all right. Oh my, the true words have never been spoken when God touches a man and the man from God comes. This is what the Bible said. There was a man sent from God and his name was John. Amen. In the middle of Israel's backsliding, in the middle of 400 years of silence, God reached down and touched a man and the mouth of a prophet was open and he said, Behold, the coming of the Lord Lord is at hand. The Messiah is coming. Repent. Zechariah had no way of knowing the effect that John the Baptist would have. But God said in Matthew 11 and 11, Jesus speaking, Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven 
is greater than. Oh, listen to me. Now, God is raising up a new prophet. But he would come in the same ministry as Elijah. I want to brush this here and then we're going to cover it at the end. But notice that as God is raising up John, that there are some elements of of John's ministry that are much like Elijah's. First of all, John is direct in his message. John did not beat around the bush. It didn't matter what he started preaching on. He always ended up with repent repent the kingdom of heaven is at hand repent repent and here comes Elijah the Tishbite out of nowhere there is no pomp there is no circumstance there is no announcement God does not give us his credentials God does not tell us what what Bible school he studied at it doesn't tell us who his father was he just comes and says at my word it shall not rain hey, have you been wicked and until you repent there's going to be no rain upon the land he is direct in his preaching John is distinctive in his authority, as is Elijah. Amen. Very few prophets, and I mean this, have the characteristics to stand on a mountain with over 800 false prophets. I know there were 400 prophets of Baal. There were other prophets there uh, dancing around an altar. And he's by himself and says, maybe your God's on a trip. Maybe your God's using the restroom. That's what he's saying. Come on here. Very few have that confidence. But Elijah has the authority. So much so that he's not wringing his hands. He just steps up to the altar, prays a 63-word prayer, and the fire from heaven comes down and consumes the sacrifice, licks up the water. Amen. He is distinctive in his authority. And so is John the Baptist. He did not mince words. He simply turned and said, Behold the Lamb, which taketh away the sins of the world. He stood in confidence. He knew what his calling was. He knew what his authority was. So he's a man that is direct in his message, distinctive as an authority. But he is a man that is also defined by his ministry. Now, John the Baptist is not known by us as a miracle worker. Come on here. He's known as a preacher. But the miracle is that John the Baptist is the only prophet that while he was preaching saw his prophecy fulfilled. Glory to God. Think about it for a moment. I mean, Jeremiah prophesied about destruction and eventually it happened. Ezekiel prophesied and never saw it. Isaiah prophesied and never saw it come to pass. Hosea prophesied and never saw it come to pass. But John the Baptist is saying, There cometh one after me, not many days hence, whose shoes I am not worthy to unlatch. I indeed baptize with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire and then is able to turn and say behold the lamb and so he said he is distinguished or defined by the power of his ministry think about this what would you think about a man who had the power to raise the dead call down fire from heaven cause the heavens to withhold rain render a barrel of flour inexhaustible (laughs) come on now I mean, if he came in the back door right now, I said, I'm sitting down, sir. Here's the microphone. Hey, man, uh, come on and preach to us. Uh, We got some things to learn, some things to hear. Why? He is defined by his ministry. But notice that Elijah was not raised up to raise the dead. Elijah was not raised up simply to stop the rain. Elijah was raised up to call the nation to repentance. 
Elijah was raised up in response to the sin of a people. I like what Arthur Peake said. He said, prophecy always presupposes failure and sin. God only sent forth one of his prophets in a time of marked declension and departure of the people from himself. When did God raise a prophet? When the nations had backslid against God. Oh, hallelujah. Listen to me. In fact, the very first prophecy recorded in the Holy Scripture is found in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. When was this prophecy given? Not while our first parents walked in the cool of the day in fellowship with God. Not oh y'all aren't hearing me. Not when they were talking with God but rather when they had rebelled and they had sinned against God. Then prophecy comes and this is a pattern that you will find in the scripture. Let Israel backslide. Let Judah backslide and God will raise up a prophet. Oh this gives me hope let America backslide and God is going to call men and God is going to raise up men that will speak with the voice of a prophet you need to mark and note that prophets messages were addressed to a degenerate and wayward people Listen to the words of three prominent prophets. Isaiah says, The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib. But Israel doth not know. My people doth not consider. Oh, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel into anger. They are gone away backward. Listen to Jeremiah. Thus saith the Lord. What iniquity have your fathers found in me? That they are gone far from me and have walked after vanity. Listen to Ezekiel. Son of man, I send thee to the children of Israel to a rebellious nation that hath rebelled against me. Listen, this same principle holds good throughout the New Testament. God is not sending prophets to nations who are weeping in repentance. He is sending prophets to stiff necks hard-hearted, degenerate, rebellious people. My God, I wish you'd help me preach tonight. Listen to me. Understand, this is where John the Baptist is introduced to us. And what is the outstanding characteristic of his ministry? It is not that of an evangelist, not that of a teacher, but rather the prophet. He shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Isaiah protested Judah and Jerusalem. Ezekiel protested the rebellious people of Israel. John the Baptist was a divine protest against the rottenness of the Pharisees, the rottenness of the Sadducees, and the outright rebellion of the Herodians. Though John was the son of a priest, he never ministered in the temple, nor was his voice heard in Jerusalem. Instead, he was a voice heard crying in the wilderness. Why? Because God God would take him and place him outside of all organized 
religion that existed at that time because God said it's rotten and there's nothing good and my man will come from a place of purity. He'll come from a place of unction. He'll come from a place where there's no political pressure. I want to tell you that politics will kill a ministry. Don't you give up for anybody. You stand flat-footed and you preach. God needs prophets that aren't afraid. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost. There are always two features that speak to the nature of a prophet's mission and a prophet's message. The first is to arouse a slumbering conscience. The second is to comfort the hearts of God's people in a day of ruin. Listen to me. While a prophet is proclaiming judgment, he will also proclaim the mercy of God. He will also say, if you repent, if you turn. Isn't that what Brother Derek preached today? Return. Return. If you return, there will be grace. If you return, there will be mercy. But how was this accomplished? Listen, in order to convict them, the divine law was expounded. The holy claims of God insisted upon so that it might appear how grievously the hearts of the people had departed from God. Just consider, if you got in the car to teach your child how to drive and you did not tell them what the speed limit signs were about. And they said, what's all that's nothing, just ignore it and drive. They would never know they were breaking the law until there was a penalty. And the prophet stands and says, let me expound to you the law of God. And while the law of God is penetrating and while the law of God is searching the hearts of men and while the law of God is convicting and while the law of God is convincing and while the law of God is shining like a mirror showing them the works of their hands and the attitudes of their heart and the depravity of their minds they are called to an account my God that's the standard and how far am I from it listen to me tonight there is no substitute for the preached word of God there is no substitute for the law of God being broken from a pulpit. You cannot know your condition lest a prophet from God preaches to you what thus saith the word of God. It is through the foolishness of preaching that men are saved. Hallelujah. The second, the comforting of the heart was accomplished by directing the eyes of the saints above the ruin about them and fixing their hearts upon the future glory. Glory to God. And so that prophet stands and says, America is under judgment. Is that not what our brother preached today? He said it might be too late. I believe he's right. I thought as he was preaching, that's what my heart has felt. That's what my mind in searching the scriptures turns to again and again. When I pray, that's what the Holy Ghost lays on me. We are on a downward slide and it cannot be stopped. From the time that we voted to allow babies to be killed in the womb, to the time that we allowed homosexual marriage to become legislated in America, you might as well come on here, to the time that we argued and fought over bathrooms for it instead of bathrooms for Amen. We have we are on a downward slide that will not be stopped. But while I'm going to tell you that America is going to be judged, I'm also going to tell you, lift up your eyes under the hills from which cometh our help. Our help cometh from the Lord. Greater than the condition of this nation is the grace of God and the power of God and the keeping power of God. That's why Paul said, I am persuaded that he is able to keep the which I have committed unto him against that day. (laughs) 
with me for a moment because we're going to preach about John the Baptist. But in order to understand John the Baptist, we kind of need to understand Elijah. If we're going to preach about him coming in the spirit and power of Elias, we've got to understand who Elijah was and what Elijah faced. Now, as Elijah burst onto the scene again, this is how the Bible introduces him. And Elijah the Tishbite said unto Ahab. Think about that. I mean, just there he is. Boom. There he is. Ahab had taken the kingship of Israel. And instead of being a godly king, he considered it a light thing to continue in the sins of Jeroboam. Now, if you're going to understand what Elijah is facing, you've got to know about Jeroboam. You've got to know what he had done. Now, Jeroboam was promised by God. He said, take thee ten pieces in 1 Kings 11 and 31. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I will rend the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and will give ten tribes to thee. He said, but he shall have one tribe for my servant David's sake and for Jerusalem's sake, the city which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. Now, this did not come to pass until under the reign of Rehoboam. But listen, and he said to this to Jeroboam and it shall be if thou would hearken unto all that I command thee and will walk in my ways and do that as right in my sight to keep my statutes and my commandments as David my servant did that I will be with thee and build thee a sure house as I built for David and will give Israel unto thee what a promise huh I mean right there I'm like I gotta walk with God for the possible for the prosperity of my family, for the, for the prosperity of my kingdom, I've got to walk with God. But he did not. The first thing that Jeroboam did, he corrupted the worship of Jehovah by instituting golden calves as objects of divine adoration. Amen. He said, come and worship these golden calves. They'll be God to you. Come on here. Secondly, he changed the place of service from Jerusalem to the cities of Bethel and Dan. And he did it because he said it'll be easier for you, be more convenient for you. It won't be such a burden. So now you got a calf in Dan and a calf in Bethel. What's happening now? We're still acting like we're worshiping God, but we're not doing it God's way. We are also worshiping a God that has been crafted and made by the hands of man. That's one of the first steps of apostasy in Romans chapter 1. They took God and formed him into the image of a corruptible creature. Are you with me right here? Thirdly, Jeroboam appointed priest from among the tribes other than that of Levi. In other words, he was calling men himself that had not been called by God. You can get in trouble there, can't you? Go ahead, let a man that's not called by God be your pastor. Go ahead. He'll lead you on down to the golden calf. Fourthly, the king altered the time of the Feast of the Tabernacles from the seventh month to the fifteenth day to the eighth month and the fifteenth day. And the Bible tells us why. All of this he had devised of his own heart. And so when God said, walk with me and I'll give you the kingdom, Jeroboam said, I don't need you. I know what's best. And he devised it in his own heart. Now listen what happens after Jeroboam. There is a succession of six kings and none of them reversed the sins of Jeroboam. Are you awake tonight? Y'all are getting quiet on me. I know you're listening. First there is Nadab and it said he did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and in his sin wherewith he made Israel to sin. He is succeeded to the throne by the man who murdered him, Besha, in 1 Kings 15 and 27. Next came Elab, a drunkard, who in turn was a murderer. His successor, Zimri, was guilty of treason. He was followed by a military adventurer by the name of Omri and of him we are told, but Omri wrought evil in the eyes of the Lord and did worse than all 
all that were before him. For he walked in all the way of Jeroboam the son of Nebat. And in his sin wherewith he made Israel to sin to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger with their vanities. The evil cycle was completed by Omri's son. For he was even more vile than those who had preceded him. The Bible says this. And Ahab the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. Get that above all that were before him and it came to pass as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam the son of Nebat that he took to wife Jezebel the daughter of Ethbel king of the Zidonians and went and served Baal and worshipped him now listen in a very short time, his marriage to this heathen princess was fraught with frightful consequences. In a short time, all traces of pure worship of Jehovah vanished from the land. Gross idolatry took over. Golden calves were worshipped at Dan and Beersheba. A temple was erected to Bel in Samaria. The groves of Bel appeared on every side. And the priest of Bel took full charge of the religious life of Israel. Now listen. Some of the atrocities that took place. It was openly declared that Bel lived and Jehovah was dead. Think about that. You are in Israel. God who brought you out of Egypt by a strong hand sent ten plagues that you have been told about all of your life parted the Red Sea fed your forefathers with manna and quail in the wilderness kept their shoes and clothes from wearing out appeared to them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night all of the stories of God's works and now in Israel it is declared that God is dead and Baal is alive Jehovah is not God but Baal is God but Ahab didn't stop there he made a grove and did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel there was defiance of the Lord God blatant wickedness had now reached its culminating point listen a man named Hael the Bethlehite built Jericho Joshua had adjured them at the time saying cursed be the man before the Lord that riseth up and buildeth this city Jericho he shall lay the foundation in his firstborn Joshua 6 and 26 the rebuilding of Jericho was an open defiance of God and Ahab did nothing it is so bad that only 7,000 people are left that are not worshiping Baal and they're hidden away in a cave. I want it to sink in. That's why I'm slowing down. I want it to sink in. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, God launches His most powerful weapon. <laughs> he does not send a force of angels. Oh, glory to God. He does not send famines. He does not send plagues. Oh, they will come, but not first. Not first. No, no. He does not call on the 7,000 to uh, commit guerrilla warfare. No, no. He just reaches down somewhere in the land of Gilead and touches this man named Elijah. Puts his finger on him and says, Go say unto Ahab. Go say unto Ahab. Listen to me. When you look at, my God, I feel like preaching. When you look at our nation and think there is no hope, let me tell you what the hope is. Young men in a Calls in a prayer. Young men who are waiting on God. Young women who are waiting on God. When all of a sudden he reaches down his finger and says stand up and declare. Stand up and cry. Stand up and lift aloud thy voice like a trumpet and spare not. Say unto this wicked nation. Say unto your township. Say unto your cities. Say unto your family. Say unto your neighbors. I want to tell you when God wanted to save a nation he raised up a prophet 
What was his greatest weapon? A preacher of the gospel. Gun barrel straight. With a backbone like a saw log. And a jaw grip like a bulldog. Amen. You tell me, I'll preach it. He'll declare the truth of God under the apostate kingdom of Israel. One writer said it like this. In the midst of this spiritual darkness and degradation, there appeared on the stage of public action with dramatic suddenness, a solitary but striking witness to and for the living God. <laughs> The most illustrious prophet Elijah was raised up in the reign of the most wicked of the kings of Israel. And this is a terse but accurate summing up of the situation in Israel at this time. God raised up Elijah because of Ahab. I don't think you all get it in light of where we're at. Well, I'm worried who's going to win. Is it going to be four more years of Trump? Or is it going to be four more years of Biden? I don't care who it is. Oh, I'll do my duty and vote. But I am not pinning my hopes on that vote. I'm pinning my hopes that the pulpits of America will be filled with the prophets of God that will stand again and cry for righteousness, that will stand again and preach a word from God, that will stand again as prophets of God declaring righteousness and holiness and separation. This commentator went further to say, it is truly saddening to contemplate the awful conditions which then prevailed. Every light had been extinguished. Every voice of divine testimony was hushed. Spiritual death was spread over everything. And it looked as though Satan had indeed obtained complete mastery of the situation. This is what Elijah launched into. And this is where John the Baptist begins. In the same apostasy that Elijah was facing. It was not that under Ahab there was not religion. I want you to get this. In fact, Ahab had paid from his treasury for the study of the Torah. Rabbis feel that the 22 years of continual reign that he was given was because he funded the study of the 22 letters of the Torah. And for this, God gave him grace. But listen, while he was paying for the Torah to be studied, he was offering his weight in gold to Baal as a sacrifice every day. So there is a mixture of religion... And false worship. And this is where John the Baptist comes. Standing on the banks of the Jordan while he's preaching. Are Pharisees. Who they know the law. But they don't know the spirit of the law. Did not Jesus prove this on the sermon, in the Sermon on the Mount? His first major address to Israel that he, that he brought to them the unknown concepts of the law. It was not that they couldn't quote it. They did not know the spirit behind it. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment you've heard that it was said of them of old time thou shalt not commit adultery but I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust hath committed adultery with her already in his heart and so they're standing on the banks quoting scripture but it has not changed their hearts let me pay for the Torah while I worship Baal let me worship the law and forget the God. 
Let me worship the law, but not walk in the spirit. Let me worship religion. Let me worship going to church, but it doesn't make me an honest man. It doesn't cleanse the lust out of my heart. It doesn't take the bitterness out of my mind. It doesn't cleanse the cussing from my palate. Oh, you're not listening to me. It doesn't turn the curve of my anger and make me accountable for the things that I do and say. Let me go to church. We are in that hour now. Can you say amen? I said we are in that hour now. When, 90, when over 90% of America claims to be Christians, it is an impossibility. It is an impossibility. If that was true, the bars would be empty. The drug addicts would be out of business. Come out here. The cat houses would be closed down. Are you listening to me? There'd be no business for them. But tonight they are thriving. And that is because we have people who think going to church makes them saved. We have people who think that they can quote a few scriptures. They know the law that they've been changed by God. I want to tell you when you get saved, it is radical. It is as radical as coming from darkness into light. It is as radical as passing from death to life. There is a clear distinction that is drawn when you turn your heart to God. Let me deal with this right here. Isaiah said this. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall be made straight and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Luke 3, 4-5. Every valley shall be filled. And every mountain and hill shall be brought low. And the crooked shall be made straight. And the rough ways shall be made smooth. And all the flesh shall see the salvation of God. Well, preacher, I just don't believe that we can preach that way today. There's too many obstacles. I, I, come on here. You don't know what kind of church I pastor. I've got people who won't take that kind of preaching. They won't listen to that kind of preaching. They'll run me off. Well, if they run you off, get you a, build you a little platform and preach on the street corner. If they run you off, go into the jail. If they run you off, go into the nursing home. If they run you off, start. It happened to me. I started a house, a church in my mother-in-law's house. If they run you off, preach anyway. Here's the problem. We are wanting God to make the road smooth. But the reality is, it is our job to smooth the road. Uh, I lost you on that shuffle. I said, we're praying, God, move this obstacle. God, do this. And God says, preach it straight. If it's crooked, preach it straight. If it's mountainous, preach it flat. Uh, somewhere you got to dig down and say, yes, there's mountains, but I'm going to preach it down. Yes, the road is crooked. I'm going to preach it straight. That's what I'm called to do, to prepare the way of the Lord. Oh, y'all aren't hearing me. You're tired. Amen. I got this section over here, but back there... Y'all need blankets and pillows. Amen. Come on here with me. Come on here with me. Listen to me. It's our job to straighten perversions. You don't know. There's homosexuals. There's adultery. Thank God. You got a wide open harvest to preach to. You don't even have to pray for a message, man. Y'all think I'm crazy. I'm honest. You want to flaunt your perversion in that church? You want to show me your sin? I'll stand up and preach it right in your face. That's what I'm called to do. I'm called to preach the mountains down. I'm called to preach the perversion straight. I'm called to preach that road until it's not crooked. We don't need God to make it smooth. We got to preach it smooth. We got to prophesy it until it's smooth. 
I recently had a lady in my church come to me. She was upset. She said, you preach that because you know about my daughter. I said, yes, I did. She said, I don't think that's right. I said, but you think that's right? It ain't right. And if it's going to sit there smiling at me, I'm going to preach on it. Well, glory to God. But that's my daughter. Get over it. That's my grandchild. Get over it. I'm not called to be worried about family ties. I'm not called to be worried about what upsets your lollipop cart. Amen. I'm called to come into that temple and flip tables and drive out money changers. I'm called to declare that he is coming for a holy and righteous people. And if you got mountains they need to be repented of. If you got crooked spots in your heart, they need to be repented of. If you've got perversions, repent, repent, repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, repent. Jesus is coming. Repent, 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 repent. repent. It is the message of the prophet. Lift your hands right now and say, God, let me be a hearer. I'm almost done. I'm almost done, but I want you to listen to this. This is the mark of a man of God. He confronts sin directly and openly. I'm not saying lose your compassion. I'm not saying not to deal with love. But there comes a time when the man of God has to deal with sin. There comes a time that the man of God has to let the rubber meet the road. Look at this. Nathan the prophet comes, talking about real men of God. Comes to a king who could kill him. Comes to a king who could throw him out of the kingdom. Comes to a king who could lock him up in prison and says, Thou the man. Let me tell you something else about the prophet. He doesn't look for a new way to do what he has to do. He doesn't bring something new. He simply repairs the old. Get an Elijah on Mount Carmel and he's not going to build a new altar. He's going to repair the old one. Come on here. Just looking for a new thought. Just looking for a new gimmick. Just looking for a new illustration. Just look, I'll tell you what, I'll throw some jeans on and a shirt and spike my hair up. It's just something new, man. They can relate. That's not a prophet of God. The prophet of God doesn't do something new. He repairs what is old. You know why? Because we don't know if what's new works. But I promise you, I promise you, what has worked for my forefathers, what brought revival in the book of Acts, what brought revival at Azusa Street, what brought revival in the 60s and 70s will bring revival now. And that is holiness. And that is righteousness. Oh, that is a call to separation. I'm not going to bring something new. I'm going to repair and restore that which is old. Now listen to me. When he is preaching, he is in close company with Jesus. 
Watch this. Luke chapter 4, you've read it. Jesus comes to Nazareth, goes into the synagogue, reads the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. People said people got mad because Jesus said that. They did not get mad because Jesus said that. He reads that, and he closed the book. Verse 22 says, And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? It was wonderful. But then Jesus did something. He started touching their golden calves. Listen now. They didn't have Elijah's power. And they didn't have Elijah's spirit. They didn't have Elisha's power or Elisha's spirit. But they revered them. In fact, on certain feasts, they would set a, ta a place at their tables for Elijah. It was to honor him. Come on here. Notice now when they get mad. And he said unto them, You will surely say unto me, This proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. And verily I say unto you, No prophet is accepted in his own country. And he said, And many lepers were in Israel at the time of Elisuhus, Elijah, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, save Naaman the Syrian. <laughs> Elias, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, when the, when, when the famine was throughout the land, but none of them was Elias sent, save unto Sarepta. He started touching Elijah and Elisha, and they got mad. Come into the synagogue and start touching our golden calves. Listen to me right now. Listen to me right now. That's Jesus preaching. And when we begin to shake and quake because the preacher starts touching our golden calves, I want you to understand he's being just like Jesus. Listen to me now. He is coming, John the Baptist is coming in the spirit and power of Elijah. I'm going to hurry. But notice, you can't buy a God's man, you can't leverage God's man, and you cannot threaten God's man. Have you ever wondered why Herod had a, an affection for John the Baptist? You know why? Because one day, John was standing preaching, and the Bible said, For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man and holy, and observed him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. <laughs> But then there come a day when he was preaching and he said, Herod, you have your brother's wife and it's against the law of God and you better repent. And Herod said, I got to get out of here. I'm not going to, come on. I'm not going to listen to this man preach anymore. Listen, John lost his head for his preaching. But notice how close he is to Jesus. For the Bible said from that time. <laughs> oh, glory to God. Let me start right here. I want to jump back. He says this. When John is beheaded and Jesus is preaching, Herod says, it is John whom I beheaded. Preacher, you want to be like Jesus? It is John whom I beheaded. He is risen from the dead. He said, my God, I cut his head off. And this man comes and says, Herod, it's still a sin. Herod, it's still against the law of God. I want to be like Jesus. Then lift your voice and preach against sin. It's the call of the prophet. Someone come to the panel. I'm almost done. Holy Ghost preaching is preaching that pierces, divides, and discerns. Prophetic preaching is preaching that pierces, divides, and discerns. It pierces the heart. It separates from our sin and shows us the path of life. <laughs> 
Watch this. It's lonely when you preach like Elijah. My wife and I, we evangelized for, what, about 13 years altogether? Nine, we evangelized straight. We've pastored for 14 years, something like that now. I'm getting old. I used to be in my 20s, I could preach this message on one breath. Amen. I think I'm on about breath 9,000 right now. I often wondered how I made it. I'd go into a church and preach, and sin would start being revealed. That's not a brag. I'm just telling you that that's how my ministry went. I'd go in and start preaching, and sin would start coming out. Homosexuality, adultery, pedophilia, pornography, right in holiness churches. And you know, as a pastor, if that happened in my church, I might be like, I can't believe I didn't catch that, but I'd be like, thank God! But some pastors would say, yeah, we probably won't have you back. That stuff wasn't in my church until you came. And I found that people either loved me or they hated me. That's just how it was. I, I don't mean this. In my early 30s, Brother David, God was anointing me. I knew, I, I, I think Brother Woods and, and others, and preachers probably know what I'm talking about, but there was like a, a acceleration. I'd be preaching and demons would come out screaming and I, God was anointing me. And I was pastoring and there was very few meetings. Nobody knew who I was. Nobody cared. I didn't care either. It just never dawned on me. I just, but it was lonely. Because I'd preach in my church and people would get mad. Just as real as the word that God places on your heart are the consequences of preaching that word. And Elijah gets under that burden and says, I alone am left. I alone am left. Let me tell you, you're going to preach like Elijah. You're going to feel sometimes like I alone am left. God has 7,000 who have not yet bowed the knee to Baal. Now watch this and I'm done. Elijah had a continuing ministry. We always talk about mantles. Why is this message relevant to us? And some of you ladies, you, you think maybe I'm just preaching to men, but there are works of ministry for you as well. It's not just prophesying. It's not. There are multiple areas where you are invaluable to the health and welfare of the church of the living God. Look at this. It went Elijah, and we go, oh yeah, you had to continue in ministry. Elisha picked up his mantle. No, no, no. Elijah, John the Baptist, Jesus, and us. Are you listening to me? Elijah, John the Baptist, Jesus, us. That is the continuing ministry of Elijah. So if we're in a continuing ministry, we got to have the continuing message. Repent. 
And if we have a continuing message, we have a continuing mission. Prepare the way of the Lord and make ready a people for the Lord. That's what God has done this week. God didn't fill you with the Holy Ghost so you'd be a better worshiper at church. God filled you with the Holy Ghost so you could open your mouth and prepare the way of the Lord. God filled you with the Holy Ghost so you could continue the ministry of Elijah like Jesus did. We can walk in his footsteps. Interesting. Study it. Jesus was a missionary. He was a priest. He was a prophet. He fulfilled all of those roles. And here we are. Carry it on. Carry it on.